Welcome to the Hutto Community Church Podcast. HCC is located in Hutto, Texas, and is led by Pastor Russell Daniel. For more information, please check out our website at huttocommunitychurch.org. So I introduced myself a little bit, but I'm going to start out today's message, which is called The Right Way to Be in Control. I'm going to start out today's message with actually a little more introduction. I'm going to tell you a little story about me, which will tell all of you probably more about me than I ever wanted you to know, maybe more than you ever wanted to know. And uh, the reason I called this message the right way to be in control is, of course, because as a person who likes to be in control, I think there's a right and wrong way to do everything. And um, so there is a right and a wrong way to be in control. And actually, that's not why I called it that. I called it that because as I dove into this topic, the Lord really showed me that there is a, a right time place and way to be in control as disciples of Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to uncover that today. Of course, we all know that God really is in control, right? And so the story about me that I was going to share, when I sat down to, to dive into this topic, I knew that control isn't, is an area in my life that I have struggled with. And uh, there have been some, some legit and serious seasons where that has been more intense, but it has definitely been something that the Lord and I have worked on. And immediately a story came to mind when I thought about what, what am I going to say about this? Where am I going to look in the Word for this? And, and the story that came to mind was something that happened a long time ago. And so a, about almost 20 years ago now, my husband and I were dating, and he decided he was going to propose. And uh, so like a lot of nice guys do, he went to my dad to ask for my hand in marriage, to ask for his permission, his blessing. And so they, they did that. And then, of course, he did propose. And clearly, I said yes. And so after the proposing and, and all of that, and, the, and, and I said yes, and we were engaged, we were talking about everything that led up to it. And he told me about this conversation he had with my dad. And Knowing my dad, I was very curious about this conversation because my dad was a very funny guy. He was sometimes ornery and um, sometimes intimidating, not really to me unless I had done something wrong, but to other people, sometimes he was a little scary. And so I thought, I really want to know what he had to say to you. And so Michael proceeds to tell me, okay, so I met with your dad and we talked about a few things. And then I told him, okay, I'm really here to talk to you and ask for your blessing, ask for your permission to propose to Gina, I wanna ask her to marry me. And he said that my dad said, well, I think that's great, of course, that's great. Awesome, I'm really happy for you guys. Now, has she started telling you what to do with your money yet? <laughs> and uh, if she hasn't, I I'm just gonna tell you, she's, she's going to, she's kind of bossy, she's a tightwad. Um, and, and so I'm just warning you, this is, this is what you're getting into. And as he's telling me this, y'all, my jaw drops. Like, I'm like, are you serious? This is the guy that is supposed to threaten you within an inch of your life if you hurt me. And not only is he not doing that, but he's, he's like helping you or is he trying to talk you out of it? I'm not entirely sure what it was. And, and Michael and I have laughed about that story over the years so many times because he actually thought it was quite hilarious. He enjoyed this conversation very much, and I think he couldn't wait to tell me this. But I share that with you because 
when I, when I look back, it's funny how time gives you perspective, and that was almost 20, it was 20 years ago now that that happened. And when I look back, as indignant as I was at the time, I can see a couple of things. And one thing that I see is through all of my marriage, most of the arguments that Michael and I have had over the years centered around one thing. And that one thing is that he didn't do what I told him to do. And so I can see where there's this issue of control. And um, those of you that are married, you know, sometimes husbands learn to just do what what wives say because, um, well, it's not pleasant if you don't sometimes. But in reality, control is an issue that I can see in our marriage and in my life. And I can also see that my dad wasn't trying to betray me, that my dad just knew me. He knew me, and he chose in that moment to try to help a brother out because he knew what he was going to be dealing with. And he also wanted us to have a happy and a good marriage. And he knew that this was going to be an issue. And and so his heart was in the right place, and that's where he was coming from. And when God tells us to trust him and that he's in control, that's where he's coming from as well. So, so that's me. Enough about me. What about you all? What about you all? Let's talk about y'all. Um, some of you may not have an issue with control and may think, I don't know, I, this lady's pretty uptight. I don't know what she's talking about. And some of you may really resonate with you, this struggle of control. So we're going to play a little game to figure out where we all lie. Now, some of you might remember uh, Jeff Foxworthy. Jeff Foxworthy is a comedian, and he was famous for a while. He's still out there somewhere, but for a while, he's really popular for saying, you might be a redneck if, right? And so we're going to play a game, and this game is called, you might have an issue with control if. And so I'm going to read off a number of statements, and this is the, the audience participation part. If one of these statements resonates with you, you can, it's your choice. You can kind of raise your hand like silent auction style. You can give me a little wink. You can give me a nod. You can give me an amen if it's really a, an area you'd like to work on. But you cannot elbow your partner next to you or clear your throat towards someone because we're thinking about ourselves here, okay, our own struggles, okay? Okay, so you might have an issue with control if you don't like when plans change. You might have an issue with control if you usually have a better way of doing things than others and feel the need to tell them all about your superior ways. You might have an issue with control if you are genuinely bothered by your preschoolers' mismatched outfits. I've I've been there. You might have an issue with control if you don't like being told what to do by your HOA. I don't like that, really. You might have an issue with control if you have ever taken a leadership position only because you wanted to keep someone else from messing everything up. Or if you feel plan A is never enough and plan B, or even sometimes plan C, are are necessary. You might have an issue with control if you've been labeled by others or yourself as a perfectionist. You might have an issue with control if you worry often even about things that others don't seem worried about. You might have an issue with control if you struggle to accept the choices or boundaries of your adult children. That one is hard. Even your teenagers, I would say, as I'm walking through that now. You might have an issue with control, finally, if you have ever tried to train a cat because they cannot be trained. So as I prepared to talk to you guys, I thought, let me me find out what are people really struggling with. And I went to social media because that's where 
all of the good information is. And I asked all my social media friends, what is an area in your life that you worry about and you try to control, but you actually have no control over whatsoever? And in no particular order, these are the the areas, the general themes that I got. These are the answers that people like you uh, told me that they struggle with wanting to control. Aging, the decisions of others, especially the decisions of their children, other people's opinions of them, how others treat their children, how others drive, (laughs) what their kids are exposed to outside of their home, how others perceive God and Christianity, and their children's future. And y'all, these are not all bad things. Uh, we, we have some serious concerns in our world. Our children, um, the things that they're exposed to, the things that they see and hear in this world, just a lot of those things are not bad things. But there's one common thread through all of those areas. And the common thread is that our attempts to try to control all of those areas are absolutely futile. It's no use. It does no good. And in fact, it does bad. It causes us to worry. It causes issues in our relationships. But it causes more harm than good. And, and so what does God have to say about this? What does God's word say? I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5 if you want to turn there. And in the very, very beginning of Matthew chapter 5. And so Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of the only places that we have just continuous words from Jesus, just this monologue that's such a pure gift of of the words of Jesus. And so this is Jesus's opening to the Sermon on the Mount. He chooses to, to open this message to his disciples with the, something called the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are these statements of how we can be blessed. And we're going to go through and read each one and talk about how each one relates to the topic of control. And the, the reason why I wanted you to understand the background and why, why we'll talk about each one is because the word control is actually not mentioned anywhere in them. But I could think of nothing better to drive the point home and to to see how God feels about us trying to control things than the Beatitudes, because the theme behind all of them, one of the themes behind all of them is the issue of control. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 3. And Jesus says, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs.'" And when we think about the the poor, the word poor, what does that mean? It means we're lacking, right? We don't have the money or the food that we need. We don't have the resources that we need. So if we have spiritual poverty, that means that we know that we are desperate for Jesus. But if we are trying to control and remain in control, we don't have that desperation. We're desperate to stay in control, to control the things around us. But Jesus said, if you're desperate for me, then you will be blessed because the kingdom of heaven will be yours. So the next one says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And often when we are trying to to remain in control or to control the things around us, we're trying to keep harm from coming our way or we're trying to protect the people around us. And the Bible tells us over and over and over again that this life will include suffering, that we will all 
have times where we suffer and, and then we will mourn. And what Jesus is not saying here is that those experiences that we go through, that the, the heartache and the loss are good. What he's saying is that blessed are those who mourn, that when we mourn, we are blessed. Why? Because we will be comforted. And the reality is if we don't have an opportunity to mourn, then we will ha never have the need to have the comfort of Jesus. So we're blessed when we're mourn, when we mourn, because we'll be comforted. The third one, verse five says, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. And I think that we can all see that trying to control the things around us is not humble, that's pride. And if, if we have already elevated ourselves up to the one who needs to be in charge, the one that needs to control the things around us, then Jesus cannot lift us up. So we're blessed when we're humble, when we humble ourselves, because then we will inherit the earth. Then Jesus can give to us. Number six, verse six says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When you think about hunger and thirst, when you're hungry, food is the only thing that will satisfy you. When you're thirsty, water is the only thing that will satisfy you. And, and when we are trying to be in control, then we are kind of relating back to, to the, the first one. We are desperate to maintain control. We're desperate to, to keep this from happening, to keep that from happening. What Jesus is saying here is I want you to have a desperation like you are hungry or thirsty for my right way, not your right way. And so when we have that hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, that's when he can fill us. If we're already full of ourselves, there's no room for us to him to fill us with anything. So we're blessed when we hunger or thirst for God's right way, because then he can fill us. Verse seven says, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And often control is not merciful. Often when, when we're controlling, we're trying to make right what someone has, has done wrong. We're doing what we think needs to be done. And, and you know, there's, there's a right time and place to call out sin, but more often than not, God's right way, Jesus's right way, if you look at his life, was led by mercy. And, and so there are going to be times that we're going to want to control a situation and we're gonna have to offer mercy instead. And Jesus says that when we do, when we are merciful to even those that are not merciful to us, that we will be blessed because he will show us mercy. Number eight says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And when we say that we are Christians, we say we are Christians, we are Christ followers, we love the Lord, and we're his disciples, but then we try to maintain control over here. We don't have a pure heart. We have a divided heart. We're a double agent. We're double-minded. And we have to purify our hearts and seek his way only. And when we have a pure heart, a heart that is purely seeking after him, that's when we will see God. We can't see God if we're looking our own way. So blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Number nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And being in control, trying to maintain control. If you think about 
someone that you know that really struggles with control, that has a hard time letting go, often when you're with that person, it, they don't promote peace. The environment that they create doesn't promote peace. And, and we can't confuse this with being a peacekeeper. This isn't about just being quiet in all times and not speaking up, and we're going to kind of talk about that. But this is about looking at what you're doing and is my motive for me to be in control for this situation to, to end up the way I want it to end, out, end up? Or is, this, is my motive to make peace and to point people to God? Because God's sons and daughters are peacemakers. And when we are peacemakers, we will be blessed. And finally, the last one says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So we are blessed when we're persecuted because of righteousness. One of the main concerns that people listed over and over again when I asked as far as what do you try to keep control of is what people think of them. And if we are making our choices, if we are choosing how we're gonna act based on what, how we want people to perceive us and how we want people to think of us and how we want people to talk about us, we are not making our choices because of righteousness. And as Christians, we are called to be holy, to be set apart, to live differently. And, and there are gonna be choices that we make that not only are people not going to like, but sometimes we might even be persecuted for those choices. And we can't receive the kingdom of heaven. We can't be a part of the kingdom of heaven if we're living to please man. And so we're blessed when we're persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is ours. And, and so that's the Beatitudes. And I would encourage you to pause this week and read those on your own. They're so beautiful and encouraging. And they really speak into not only the issue of control, but every single issue I think that, that we're going to talk about, we've already talked about, and we're going to talk about in the Six Sins of Suburbia series. But how do we do this? So if, if being in control is keeping us from being blessed, how do we go about doing this? Well, I think one thing to understand is that in the text, the Greek word for blessed is, is defined as being happy or flourishing. And so often when we're trying to stay in control, we're trying to either prevent harm or to be happy or flourishing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. You stop that, you follow me, and you do these things. You allow me to comfort you. You offer mercy. You, you make peace and then you will be blessed, then you will, then you will be happy, then you will be flourishing. And so how do we do that? How can we receive those blessings and how can we stop being so controlling? How can we stop struggling with control? Well, there's two verses I wanted to highlight here that I think point us in the right direction. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and I think we're bringing that one up here. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, but you can write it down. Many of you know this verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. And here's what that verse says to me, that we can never control enough variables to clear our own paths. We can never control enough variables to clear our own paths. God can clear our path, but we have to do what? We have to trust him. And when I read this, 
I couldn't help but think of specific people in my life, and maybe, maybe some of you struggle with this. I couldn't help but focus in and zero in on that word trust, because some of us, some of you, have issues with control because people have betrayed you in the past, and you don't know how to trust, or you don't want to trust again. But I'm here to tell you that God is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. And so we have to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding and submit to him so that he can clear our paths. So trust in the Lord. Don't lean on our own understanding and submit to him. The second verse that I think helps us figure out how to not be so controlling is James 4.10. And it says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And so if I've already elevated myself, I've decided what I'm doing, when I'm doing, and and how I want this to go, I've already elevated myself to the point that Jesus can't lift me up. I have to humble myself. We have to humble ourselves before the Lord and allow God to lift us up. And, And so you know what's interesting about God? When I think about all of this, what's interesting about God is that he is in fact in control. God is in control and we are not. But God is in control, but he chooses not to control us. And he gives us free will. He gives you and I the choice to submit to him or choose our own path, our way or his way. We have a choice. So what do you do with all of this? What what is the right way for you to be in control? I said that's what we're calling this, right? Because submission to God is absolutely what we should do, but there is a right way to be in control. And the right way to be in control is called self-control. And that's different than trying to control everything else, isn't it? Self-control. And the best way that I know to explain self-control is, so if you and I, anyone who has accepted Jesus into their heart, accepted Jesus into their life and said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. When we do that, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit within us. And that Holy Spirit within us is our guide. He's the way that we can be self-controlled. He helps us. In fact, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper. And so we have to submit to that Holy Spirit. We have to invite that Holy Spirit to lead us so that we can be self-controlled. Because in our own will, in my flesh, I'm going to want to tell my husband what to do every time. But through the Holy Spirit, I can submit to God and submit to him. So what... As far as being self-controlled, one thing I wanted to point out is that in Galatians, in Galatians, Paul tells us that the fruit of that Holy Spirit that's within us includes self-control. So there are nine qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. And what is fruit? When we say the fruit of the Spirit, to me, that's one of those Bible phrases that, what does that really mean? So fruit is something that grows from a plant or from a tree, and it's good. It's sweet. It's nutritious. It's nourishing, it tastes good, it looks pretty, we put it in a bowl on display. Fruit is good, right? I think we can all agree on that. And so the fruit of the Spirit is what comes forth out of you and out of me when we depend on and submit to the Holy Spirit. And it's good. It's good for us, it's good for the world around us. And it will help us to be self-controlled. 
So the, the fruit of the Spirit actually has nine qualities, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Self-control is one of them. So if we lean on the Holy Spirit, we can be self-controlled. I can be self-controlled. You can be self-controlled. So how do we go about doing that? What does this look like in your everyday life? The first thing is when we come across a situation where we are tempted to take control or to, to want to be in control, the first thing is we have to remember, remind ourselves that God is in control. Remember that. God is in control. And then the second thing that we have to do is submit to God and invite the Holy Spirit to help you with self-control. And the way that I want to encourage you to do that is one simple phrase. And this phrase, if you want to write this down, is, Lord, your will, not mine. Lord, your will, not mine. Let's say it together. We can all practice it. Lord, your will, not mine. Lord, your will, not mine. It's such a simple phrase. It's an easy thing to remember. So how can you submit to God when your spouse annoys you? Lord, your will, not mine. When you get cut off in traffic, Lord, your will, not mine. When an unexpected bill comes, Lord, your will, not mine. When your children don't behave, Lord, your will, not mine. When your adult children make decisions that seem ridiculous and awful to you, Lord, your will, not mine. When Anything unexpected, any situation comes along that we are tempted to want to take control and we know we don't actually have control, Lord, your will, not mine. So we're going to use that phrase. We're going to apply that phrase. But I don't want anyone to think that the theme of this message is that as Christians, we're all just going to kumbaya our way through life and, you know, just go around saying, Lord, your will, not mine, and that um, we're not going to ever take any action and just let God do everything because the reality is God's will involves you and I taking action a lot of the times. And so how do we discern that? How do I know when I'm supposed to speak up and how do I know when I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut? How do I know when I'm supposed to jump in and help someone versus let them figure it out on their own? How do you discern the will of God? So I've got four things that can help you and I discern the will of God. So we say, Lord, your will, not mine. And then we have to figure out what is his will. And if you're, if you're taking notes, these are good things to write down. Four things that help us discern the will of God. So the first thing is that the will of God is going to bring peace. Because remember, his people are peacemakers. So God's will is always going to bring peace. The second thing is that it's going to align with his character. God is never going to ask us to do anything that doesn't align with who he is. And the third thing is that it's going to be confirmed by God's word. And so we're not going to, God's will is never going to be for us to do something that contradicts with his word. And in reality, how that plays out for me in my life is not only, not only does, if, if, I, if I have a decision I'm making, I can do this or I can do that, so, or I'm in a situation, I'm trying to discern what to do, if I've been in God's word and I'm reading God's word regularly, then I know if what he's telling me to do is in direct opposition of what his word says. But also, if I'm praying over something and I'm seeking God's will in something, then when I sit down to read the word regularly, then often the word will speak exactly to that situation, a phrase, a word, something will stand out and, and I will feel God confirming with his word 
what he wants me to do. And I share that in detail because if you want to know God's will, you have to know him and his word. You have to be with him and be in his word. So the uh, third thing, or I'm sorry, that was the third thing confirmed by the word. And the, the fourth way that we know God's will is that it is often affirmed by godly people in our life. So those four things, how do we know God's will? We know that God's will is always going to bring peace. We know that God's will is going to align with his character. We know that it is going to be confirmed by the word. And, and that it is often, if we seek wise counsel and talk to our trusted, godly Christian friends, is often going to be affirmed by godly people in our life. So what do we, as a church, do with this information? Lord, your will, not mine. God is in control. We need to be self-controlled and discern God's will for, for our lives. But what do we as a church do with this information? I want you to, for a moment, just imagine, imagine what this community, this suburban community would be like if all of us followed God's will all of the time. It would be a very different place, wouldn't it? And so often, so often we are a people in this suburban community, any suburban community where people that is focused on the future. We're trying to prevent harm from coming in the future or we're, or we're focused on the past. We're trying to avoid reliving our past. We are dwelling on past mistakes. And, and I shared with you a little bit of my story, but I want to wrap that up in an example of how we as a church can do this together. So I told you that my dad said that I was a little bit bossy and a little bit controlling with money, and he was not lying. He was not wrong. And so in, in our marriage for the first 10 plus years, I was always the one to pay the bills, and uh, I was the one in charge of the money. And there came a time in our marriage about a decade ago where financially things got really bad. Um, we had way too much debt, way too many bills, and uh, there was not enough income to cover all of that. And I told you who was in charge of the money, right? So it was on me. So this was an area in my life that I had tried to control and that God said, I'll let you, sister, and let's see where that gets you. And so prior to this time where we kind of fell into this, this financial pit that Jesse was singing about this, this uh, financial valley. Michael and I had been going to church faithfully, had been growing in our, our faith as a family. And I knew that God wanted us to be more faithful with giving to the church. And so we had started giving, but I was giving an amount that was comfortable and easy and not in any way sacrificial. And I was certainly not tithing a tenth of our income. And so I knew when this happened, when, when our finances fell apart, when I let them fall apart, and I was completely humbled by my own mistakes and by God, and I was flat on my face, I knew what I needed to do. I knew that this area, I needed to submit to God. I knew that he could get us out of it, and I knew what I had done wrong. And so I told God, I said, God, 
if you will help us out of this, I believe that you will help us out of this, I promise to be faithful. We will tithe. You know I can't tithe the 10th right now because we don't have any money at all, but I promise you every time I can, every chance I get, I will give to you and we will work our way out of this hole and we will get to where we're tithing faithfully and we're giving to you. And I never ever recommend um, bargaining with God (laughs) and saying, God, if you do this for me, I'll do that for you. That's not what this was. This was a repentance and I meant it and he knew it. And so God was faithful We slowly worked our way out of debt and every time something would get paid off and we had a little bit of extra, you know, when when you're penny pinching like that and barely making ends meet and you get a little extra, you just wanna like, I don't know, buy something name brand at the grocery store. Like you just wanna maybe get your nails done or go eat at Sonic or something like that. But I told you what the way I lived before was I gave to God what was comfortable. So every time we had a little room in our income, I would increase our online giving by an amount that was uncomfortable, yet it gave me peace. It gave me peace and I felt good about it and I knew that I was honoring God. And then every time I did that, he would do something, you know, we, there, there would be extra money that would come in or he would show me how I had miscalculated things and I actually had more than I thought because again, I'm not in control, he is. And so eventually we worked our way out of this hole and got to the point where we were tithing a full 10% and and it has maintained that way. And at times when we can, we give generously above that and, and we have organizations that we give to and it has changed my life, my heart, my peace and my family for me to submit my finances to God. And I'm not sharing this with you all out of pride or conceit. I'm sharing this with you all because first of all, it gives glory to God. Second of all, there are are some of you here or someone listening who struggles with the same thing, that God has been pecking at your heart to give more, to tithe, to increase your giving, and, and you've been rebellious and ignoring Him. And I'm telling you, there is reward and blessing and happiness and flourishing if you're obedient to him. If you stop trying to control your finances, because he can do more with that 10% than we could ever do with the 90. And he can certainly do more with 10% than we can do with our 100. And so I'm gonna wrap us up by saying this, what this, what my testimony of tithing has to do with you all is because now, I serve as an elder at this church and I like to help people and I run across people all the time that I wanna help that are in need. And I think to myself, I, I'd love to help this person, but the, the amount that I could give them, the way that I could support them is just a drop in the bucket for what, how large their need is. But then we as elders get to use all of the money that you all give And I see all the time how we help and give large amounts to organizations that are doing kingdom work because we pull our resources. And I see how we take a need of an individual in our community, sometimes even in our church, someone who's desperate, who I don't have enough personal resources to help, but the church is able to take what I've given 
and what you've given and multiply it and help that person in a way that I could never help them myself. So I can see the fruit of releasing control and being obedient to God and submitting to the will of God in that specific area. And and it's just, it's something that we can't, can't ignore, something that we can't ignore. So I would encourage you, my encouragement would be, maybe for you it's not tithing. Maybe that's not an area that you struggle with. But if there is any area that you are holding back from God in your life, that you are maintaining control of, then now is the time for you to submit to God there and let him lead you because he will do better than you could ever do on your own. I'm gonna summarize here. I'm gonna wrap us up and just remind us of why it's important for us to release control. So in summary, God is in control. God is in control. And the right way for you and I to be in control is to submit to God and be self-controlled. And when we feel challenged, we will say, Lord, your will, not mine. You can take that phrase and you can use it every day, all day. Lord, your will, not mine. But what is God's will? What is God's will? We talked about the way that we discern it, but what is God's will? What is God's will for you? What is God's will for this church? What is God's will for any of us? God's will is for marriages and families and for there not to be conflict in the home. God's will is for your prosperity. God's will is to grow his kingdom. God's will is for us to work together. God's will is for you and I to share the gospel in this community. God's will is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. So Lord, your will, not ours. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed today's podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, or visit our website at huddocommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening and God bless.